just listened to court TV on YouTube recordings of the grand jury. Taylor case from the grand jury proceedings. As we know, grand jury, secret proceedings. It's not supposed to be public. I mean, I can't remember ever listening to a recording of a grand jury before, but it has happened in this case, which is unlike any other case, and hours and hours and hours of testimony and evidence released today, Court TV has them. So, what exactly is going on here? Well, there, there's an outcry. Like, why were there no criminal charges against the police officers who shot and killed Breonna Taylor, who's home in her own apartment doing nothing wrong? Like, how did that happen? Well, the attorney general came out and spoke and talked about, well, there was no evidence that we, you know, and then like, well, show us. You know, what, did, what evidence is there? So, after the judge ordered it, the attorney general released about 50, 15 hours of these proceedings with all the testimony and recordings of radio transmissions like that. And Court TV crime and justice reporter Julia Janae got her hands on it, been working on it all day going through these recordings. And wow, let's start here, Julia. What is in these recordings, these 15 hours? What's in and what is not contained in those recordings? Vinny, it's a lot of information, and it's really insightful into what happens in grand jury proceedings. So inside, you do hear the actual testimony, the witnesses who take the stand, who are sworn in, and they are giving their account of what happened to these grand jurors. You can hear everything that's going on in that courtroom or whatever room that they are in for this grand jury process. And you can even hear some of the, the whispering at the prosecution table back and forth. So they really just turned on this audio recording and let it go. But what you don't hear are any opening statements. You don't hear what the prosecution began with. It really just starts on the testimony of the first witness. And you don't hear anything as a wrap-up at the end as far as the recommendations that the prosecution, the Attorney General's office, gave to these grand jurors before they started their deliberations. These grand jurors heard from a lot of uh, second-hand evidence, second-hand accounts of what happened. The officers who interviewed witnesses or officers who interviewed the actual officers who pulled the trigger. Here's an account of a, a woman who was in the apartment across the, sh across the way from Breonna Taylor. She could see through her window, the back window of Breonna Taylor's apartment. And she described to the detective, Herman Hall, exactly what she says she noticed in those moments that the bullets first rang out. As soon as she had posed, she hears a pop and then hears a spray of bullets. Her daughter was downstairs making a sandwich and screamed. The scream was a bloody murder type scream. Dixon calls 911 and runs downstairs checking to make sure her 11 year old daughter is okay. Her husband Curtis was asleep and all three children were awake when the shooting occurred. Her son was in his room. All bedrooms are upstairs. His son was in his room watching something on his laptop, and her other daughter was in her room watching something. 
city said that. I don't. I don't know. I, I believe they've changed their policy since this incident. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what what the city said. You know, as far as body cams go, I do know that there are no body cams of that entry. Uh, the fourth question is, what was the formal plan uh, assignments for serving warrant? I'm not sure I can. As I was indicated by Cosgrove in the nine. Response and hang on again. Response at that point, we start announcing ourselves. Please come to the door. 
charges under Kentucky law, these charges are not applicable to the facts before us because our investigation showed and the grand jury agreed that Mattingly and Cosgrove were justified in the return of deadly fire after having been fired upon by Kenneth Walker. He has later uh, sort of reframed the way that he describes what happened and he said in a statement this week that he only recommended the wanted endangerment charges to the grand jurors. And then again, talking to a local TV station, WDRB, he said more explicitly that he did not recommend homicide charges against any of the officers. Cameron says presenting the grand jury with a murder charge would not have been appropriate. They are an independent body. If they wanted to make a assessment about uh, different charges, uh, 
they could have done that, but our recommendation was that uh, Mattingly and Cosgrove were justified in their acts and their conduct. There is inevitably going to be some criticism of any decision where no one is directly charged in the death. This whole protest movement that we've seen for the past several months has been getting accountability and justice in these police killings, and I think many of the protesters don't see this as um, as holding anybody accountable. They're, not only were there not homicide charges, but none of the, the charges that were filed were related to her killing. Too many lies. Entirely too many lies. But liars lie. What can you say? Mm-mm-mm. Alec or Logan Alec CPA October 20. Alec, I'm a CPA and this is my stimulus update for Saturday, October 24th. First of all, how about them Dodgers, huh? Just to clear up some confusion because it wasn't exactly clear, I posted a picture yesterday evening of my wife and I at a Dodgers game. Several people asked, hey, where's your mask? This picture was actually from last year. I made a clarifying comment below the picture. Um, obviously, this was a time when I did not even know what a coronavirus was. Simpler times, right? But here we are in October 2020 with the U.S. reporting over 83,000 cases yesterday, a new record, daily record, exceeding the previous high of 77,362 reported on July 16th, and still no pre-election stimulus in sight. A deal was not reached this week. No surprise there, right? Mnuchin said yesterday that Democrats have dug in on key issues and there are still significant differences. Larry Kudlow said the ball is not moving much right now. Trump Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany said Democrats are fundamentally unserious right now. Pelosi, meanwhile, was on MSNBC yesterday talking to Craig Melvin. She said she's optimistic about stimulus. She's been using that word a lot recently. She did say there are some differences remaining, but they put pen to paper meaning that at least in some aspects, the two sides have gone beyond mere talk to actually exchanging language, and that as they're writing the next stimulus bill, Pelosi says hopefully they'll be able to resolve some of the other differences. She said she believes this could get done before the election if the president wants to. Seems like a tall order to me with the election 11 days away from yesterday when Pelosi said this 10 days away from today. So she's kind of putting the onus and blame here on Trump if a deal doesn't get done before Election Day, but I think the blame uh, really is spread across all aspects of D.C. Drew Hamill, Pelosi's spokesperson, tweeted yesterday that Pelosi thinks an agreement with the White House can be reached soon and that committees and staff will continue to work through the weekend, perhaps exchanging language and things like that. He said that Pelosi and Mnuchin will speak again once additional progress is made. But to be frank, when members of Congress on both sides of the aisle talk about stimulus recently, they're not really hopeful that it's going to happen before the election. For example, the number three Democrat in the House, Jim Clyburn of South Carolina, said the election is less than two weeks away, 
and I believe it will be back in Washington a week or two after the elections, and we can do something, referring to stimulus there. At least elections will be behind us. So he's kind of viewing it as a foregone conclusion that if there is stimulus, it would happen after Election Day. What about Republicans? Well, the Senate plans to vote to confirm Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court this coming Monday, October 26th, in two days. And Senate Appropriations Chairman Richard Shelby, Republican Senator from Alabama, said here's the deal with what's going on with the Senate. He said, I think it's a very doubtful, slim chance that we'll get any type of stimulus before the election. Anything can happen around here, but we're scheduled to leave here Monday after the Barrett vote. He went on to say, I think at this point in time, Friday before the Monday, we're scheduled to leave because he was speaking yesterday. It'd take a colossal get-together, just a huge get-together to get a stimulus package together, and I don't see it happening. That doesn't mean it couldn't happen. Probability, no. Possibility, very, very slim. John Thune, the number two Republican in the Senate, said yesterday that there could be an agreement, and he wouldn't say it's outside their own possibility, but he says that he thinks in terms of trying to process it mechanically across the floor of the House and the Senate and get it passed, he thinks the odds would be long of that. Moreover, it's reported the Senate Finance Committee, which is controlled by Republicans, and the House Ways and Means Committee, which is controlled by Democrats, aren't even really talking to each other at this point regarding stimulus negotiations. So, point is, no one get their hopes up about a deal before the election, right? That's probably <laughs> nothing you didn't know already. Um, now, in my view, a post-election stimulus deal is definitely not ideal because, as I've said before, depending on how the elections turn out, you could have a lot of Republican senators who nominally support a stimulus before the election with a view to the election itself, but if they get voted out in November, all of a sudden, they might not be interested in stimulus anymore during their lame duck session throughout November and December. Now, something else that I know will probably be of interest to some of you is this. A group of Ohio landlords yesterday filed a lawsuit against the CDC and the Department of Health and Human Services claiming that the CDC and the department overstepped their authority with the eviction ban. One of the attorneys for the landlords claimed that the CDC's eviction moratorium is a sweeping expansion of federal power over the rights of property owners nationwide and that Congress never gave the CDC such authority and the CDC is not allowed to make up the law as it goes. We'll see what happens with this. I'll put a link to the full lawsuit in the description below. All right, everybody, that is my stimulus update for today. Thank you so much for watching. If you're going to be watching the Dodgers in Game 4 of the World Series tonight, I'll be watching as well from home. Have a great Saturday, everybody, and I will see you in the next video. Attorney General's office? Uh, three years total. And prior to that, where did you work? Uh, retired from the Frankfurt Police Department with 21 years now. And then after that, I worked as an investigator with the Department of Revenue for the state of Kentucky. 
And as a detective with uh, Frankfurt Police Department, did you uh, work homicide cases? Yes, ma'am. Work assault cases? Yes, ma'am. Uh, so many, many types of criminal cases? Yes, ma'am. District Attorney Jackie Lacey has been a household name here in Los Angeles over the past 20 years. But I promise you, she's no Auntie Max. You want to support Roller Bar Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to rollermartinunfiltered.com. You can make this possible. The recordings of the grand jury proceedings in the Breonna Taylor case were released today. Why? Because a judge ordered it. They revealed what evidence Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron presented to jurors. Among the information presented to the grand jury, there was a neighbor's account. An investigator with Cameron's office relayed an interview with a neighbor who lived directly next door to Taylor who said he knows for a fact nobody announced themselves as police. A different neighbor says she heard police say, reload, reload, let's do what we need to do. Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly, who was shot during the raid, told the Public Integrity Unit that our intent was to give Taylor plenty of time to come to the door because she was probably there alone. The recordings are approximately 15 hours long and cover the grand jury session from September 21st through September 23rd. Quentin, these are important because what it also reveals, it reveals that Daniel Cameron, frankly, lied when he came before the public about what the grand jury was considering and the only reason we have this now because a grand juror filed a motion to get these tapes released when i saw him on at the republican convention i knew what was going to happen next i mean they wouldn't have him come there if he was going to say anything that or do anything that was going against their platform or what they wanted to do. That whole convention was anti-Black Lives Matter. And this is one of the top topics in Black Lives Matter issues going on right now. And one thing that I found uh, in the tapes that was really interesting to me, nobody had on a body camera, and they had no form, it said they had no formal plan for entry. So what, I mean, what were they there to do? Julian, uh, this is important. Uh, the lawyers, excuse me, the lawyers committee, civil rights under law. I saw the uh, NAACP legal defense fund. They said they're going through those tapes. Other lawyers as well, Ben Crump and others. And so uh, we're going to get an indication of more of that. You know, it's a, it's a blessing that Breonna's uh, boyfriend was there because otherwise there would be no witnesses. I mean, the uh, the neighbors, the one who's right in this house, he said he didn't hear anything. Cameron is a, a very deceptive young man extremely deceptive, and what we know is that he did not, as her parents, her mother said, did not present evidence that favored Brianna. He, he just presented evidence that basically attempted to exonerate a police officer. If someone gets uh, convicted of reckless endangerment for shooting into a neighbor's house, why did they not reckless, get reckless endangerment or something else for shooting into Brianna's house? This is nonsense, but really, it does go back to your point about the judges and voting for the judges. And let me just say this. Voting is not the most you can do. It's the least you can do. And I think if we haven't learned anything else in the last four years, we this has been reinforced for us. We have a completely irresponsible president who has essentially been single-handedly single in charge of this virus killing now 200 and, I think it was 207,000 people. Uh, we have an irresponsible president who's also 
species, lined his own pockets, lined his friends' pockets, doesn't pay taxes. This, this is going down the list. The fact is that now we know what the implications of having a crooked president are. We have labor secretary who doesn't know anything about labor. We have EPA uh, secretary who doesn't like the environment. Just go down the list. All right, folks, I've got one of my unfiltered video in just one moment. Credit 